It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no, but angel hair pasta. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. But a champion becomes a legend. McCarty Deaver has won it. Perkins goes in first. What a legend. What a champion. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. As always, a great pleasure to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And on this big day, World Cup final day, it is appropriate that we have a gentleman who has worn one of the most iconic things in Australian sport, that baggy green cap. His name is Bryce McGain. He joins me in the studio now. Bryce, welcome. Great to be part of the show. How are you? Going very well. I spoke to Simon O'Donnell at the start of this World Cup and we talked about Warner and Smith coming back into the team and whether this would be the real catalyst for forgiveness. Mm. Do you think it's worked out that way? I think it has. And I think that the way that they've been able to behave, certainly within the group, they've just got down and got the job done. That's That's been what's important. There's been no more of the, the silly uh, going off on a tangent and press this and how they're feeling about things that happened in the past. They've just got on with what's required. And I think that's a, a, a much better way for a, a team to work cohesively. That can really break away um, teams, of course, if people are off doing their own thing and do, doing what's in their best interest rather than what's in the team's best interest. So it's been it's been pleasing the way they've come back in. There's no question they're class. They are world-class performers and they've been able to show that uh, at the highest level with the biggest pressure in a World Cup. We've seen a couple of things evolve in this World Cup, Bryce. One uh, which is probably not uh, in your wheelhouse and that is the bouncer. Uh, They've been using the short ball with great effect but the other thing is we've seen spin to open a few times in 50 over games. I'm sure that gladdens your heart. It sure does Uh, and the the evolution of it, I remember having a conversation a number of years ago with the great Terry Jenner um, uh, who's been such a major influence for Shane Warne and he was talking when T20 came in, when it was state versus state. He said, well, that's the end of you, Bryce. That's the end of the spinner. The leg spinner won't survive in this. I said, well, hang on, Terry. We, we, we've got to adapt. We've got to find different ways. We can't bowl the perfect leg spinner that we, you know, which was probably Shane Warne's Mike Gadding ball. There you mm. go. That's that's exhibit A. That's how to bowl leg spin. It flight it up and drifts and turns. And we've got to adapt. So sometimes we've got to bowl differently. We've got to bowl into the wicket. But then we can change it up with those things. But I, I, I just wanted to keep pushing to him saying that, you know, we have the best skill set to do it. We don't just bowl fast and, and, and do one thing. And you see the quicks now, they're changing up their the change of pace and being able to get the ball to move in the air as it lands. So they're probably reflecting what the spinners are doing. But the, in the top 10 in white ball cricket, uh, top 10 bowlers in the world, most of them are league spinners, um, particularly around T20 where the batsmen are going super hard. So I guess it, it's, it's evolved. Um, as spinners, you've got to be a thinker. You've got to be able to consider what's going on. You've got to read what the batsman's doing. And, uh, and it's good to see that... Um, you know, spin it certainly hasn't uh, hasn't died. It's thrived in the, the the white ball era. 
We'll touch on that a little bit later in the chat about um, spin bowling and, and your philosophies about it and how difficult an art it is. You mentioned the name Terry Jenner. We know his association with Warney. How much did you have to do with him as you were coming up through the ranks, eventually going on to play test cricket? Well, for Cricket Australia, they they employed him for a period of time to go around to each state and uh, and deal with each spin. Um, I saw him for the first time, and it was probably the first real bit of coaching that I'd, I'd got um, at that in-depth technical level. I was 28 years old, so it was the first bit of coaching I'd had. Um, I'd sort of been working it out my own way largely from there. Had some supportive coaches who who backed what I did, but no one really knew spin bowling like um, a Terry Jenner who'd really analysed how to go about it and how to explain it. So it was they, they'd have these camps, these spin weeks, and so they'd get um, players from all around each state and they'd all meet. And it was the last time they had that in Adelaide was um, was the, when before they moved up to the Centre of Excellence up in Brisbane. So I, I, that was the first time I came across him. And then following years after that, um, was uh, outlining uh, he'd go to each state and, and help out there. But for, for most of my career at that stage, I, I wasn't really in the picture. I hadn't come through any pathway thing. I was 10 years older than most of the people that was on those spin weeks. So I was, a, I was probably a bit unfashionable. But he, he did point it out, and it was probably about day three where he said, um, and I was doing a lot of things that weren't really helping me bowl good spin. I was coming in on angles and different things like that. And he just explained it to me and said, well, these are the things, this is a foundation of bowling good spin. Once I knew that, um, well, it happened to be 18 months later, I played for Victoria. So I knew, when, once I learned the things that I needed to do um, that are going to help me and I understood why, then it made a big difference to my practice and how I, how I prepared to um, be the best I could. One of the things that TJ was regarded for, apart from his insight into the game, was the fact that he, he called a spade a dirty great bloody shovel. Uh, he was not backward in coming forward with most of his opinions. Was he like that with you? If yeah. you were doing something wrong, that it would be told to you in no uncertain terms? And, and that was probably the most abrupt thing in that in that first, first uh, time I, I caught up in that week, because they, they were looking for the next um, I guess Shane Warne. They weren't looking for someone who's just a few years younger. That, that's definitely for sure. They were looking for someone who was 16, 17, 18, that potential, and they can really blossom, not a 28-year-old who's wheeling away and, uh, and and trying to perfect his game You know, much later than what they were looking. So he was pretty direct. He just said, look, what you're doing there is crap fundamentally um, it's it's not helping you. you you're working against yourself these are the things you need to really work with he showed me some vision explained it um some vision of me bowling and then explained what he would expect to to improve me um but it was really direct it was pretty short and then I was able to for a couple of days after that for the rest of the week is try and work on those new things and then I just went away and um and really worked hard at that so it did make a big difference I'm forever grateful because he did that he was very direct. Um, and then in subsequent meetings, he'd, he'd catch up. He, he would never, and even when he was interviewed in the press, when they're talking about all the other spinners that were floating around at the time, he'd say, well, he's got to get more wickets. He's got to perform. And, you know, a lot of that was directed. You know, he never really, um, he, he never really was incredibly over overly positive, mm. but it was always, hey, you got to work. you got to do the work. And for that, I, I, I didn't mind that. I don't mind that that, that direct answer. And as, as players and athletes, we probably appreciate it in the end as we don't want the wishy-washy. We want to know exactly how it is. Okay, now we need to work. We, let's deal with the facts and, and move on. For that, he's, he was very good. It must have been an interesting mindset for you because of what you just spoke about. The fact that they're looking for the 16 or 17-year-old emerging talent. And here you are, 10 years older than that. Were you aware of people sort of on the periphery saying, why is he bothering? What's he doing at this mature age? Does he think that he's going to be able to make a mark? Or is that something that you were conscious of? 
Uh, yeah, and it's never really overtly. No one really said that to you, but you, you get the sense of that's yeah. the thing because it, you're not getting the opportunity. Um, uh, I, I played a, a number of games with Victorian second eleven um, for, for a number of years, and they're they always sort of looking around. I, I wouldn't play in a few of them, but then by the end of the season, where they, they generally play about four or five, by the end of the season, because I was still performing well in Premier Cricket, they go, "Oh, well, we'll have another look," and then I'd go, "Okay." So I'd, I'd have to keep. I guess proving myself, um, which which sometimes can be a bit exhausting and tiring. Mm. And then I guess it was probably my nature, which was more of laid back, relaxed. But internally, I had this fire that I I believed in myself enormously. So it it, it probably didn't. Um, yeah, I, look, it was it was certainly working against the tide. Um, there, there were no favours, that's for sure. Are you one of these people, and I get the feeling that you are, you're very determined, but you have to be with the path that your career has taken. But was it more a case of the more that people told you that it wasn't going to happen, you were even more determined that it was? Yeah, internally, yes. I wouldn't, I would, I would smile and um, be, be very pleasant and respectful. Um, but internally, it, a lot of the comments drove me to, to do well. Um, I remember a conversation uh, after I played a few Shield games. Uh, and I had a season review with the coaches, and uh, I said, well, "What have I got to do to play one day career for Victoria?" And they laughed, and uh, and, and that drove me that moment. Um, and then we sort of delved into the conversation, and oh, we'll give you opportunity in the preseason. We do one day practice, and this is in the middle of September, or or even August, the end of August and September. We, we'd be at uh, Wesley wheeling away, and it's not the best weather I can assure you for leg spinners. <laughs> and <laughs> it was always freezing cold. We'd have piles of jumpers on, but I wanted to do well in those opportunities, and then the preseason trips that we would have uh, further north. Uh, I wanted to do well in that. And they said, oh, well, we'll give you a chance. There'll be some preseason games. You'll, you'll be right. It was nearly dismissive. So for the whole winter, that was a fire that really drove me to, um, to to perform well, extra bowling, extra fitness, because it wasn't going to be my fitness that was going to uh, rule me out. I wasn't going to be unfit. I was going to be as fit as I possibly could be. So th- that was one instance where, you know, and, and along the way that there was a number of those that really drove me to to just keep driving and see how see how I could be the best I could I could possibly be. I want to read you a quote from Crick Info, ESPN Crick Info about you. Mm. It says Bryce refused to believe that he couldn't make it. He used the TV slow mo and super long lens close ups. He stayed sober, learnt from every spinner he could, and forced himself to be better. He refused to be just mediocre because Bryce had a dream. It's a dream that every one of us has had. The difference is. We don't believe, we don't hang in, we don't improve, and we end up just moving on. Does that sum it up? Pretty well. It does. Yeah, that's that's how it was. I, I made some choices in my late 20s. Um, I was still playing local footy at 29. Um, that wasn't helping my cricket at all. Um, so that was nearly a forced uh, put that to one side and get serious about what you're doing. Uh, I got bopped in the face in my last game and... Um, through circumstance, that was the end of that. So uh, a few surgeries to fix a, a wonky nose and, and whatnot. But then it was just, okay, we'll focus on something now. Give your cricket a real go. So what, what, is it, what are the things that aren't helping you? Well, you know, the, the socialising isn't, isn't going to help you. And that was just catching up with mates. That's all that mm. was. That wasn't necessarily being on the tear all the time. But it was, um, you know, I had a young kid, um, a young son, Liam, um, I was married at, uh, in uh, at 27, so you know what are the what are the things that are going to matter to me? Well, it, it is about family, and it is about getting the best out of myself. That's not helping. Those things will, and really re- re- realigned what I wanted to do. And it was around once I did get a little bit of coaching, um, as I mentioned before, and that that then set up 
the pathway to, to get the best out of myself. Now it didn't happen immediately, but, mm. um, and, and then once you, you get a game at state level, um, it, it's hard to stay there too. So I, I'd, I'd played three games and then had to go back to premier cricket for four years before I then, um, you know, re- reloaded again when, when Shane Warne retired, um, Victoria were expecting him to come back in. And so I, I sort of, um, got back into the swing of things then, but, uh, I think it does sum it up pretty well. Um, yeah, it's a, it's been a journey. There's no doubt about that. So inevitably, if you're in the situation, Bryce, where you, I don't know, give it a mountain climbing analogy. If you're climbing Everest and you get to base camp and you fall down, you have to climb up to base camp again. Inevitably, there are going to be moments surely along the way where you think, why am I doing this? Did you ever question yourself? Did you ever think, no, this is just a dream. It's not going to happen. Well, my vision was never really, I'm going to play cricket for Australia. It was just to try and be the best I could possibly be. And that's always been the supportive part of when I was younger playing cricket at Mornington. I just wanted to be the best I could be. And maybe I'll even play in the first at Mornington. That'd be great. And I ended up doing that and had the support of a great coach there in in Peter Buchanan who helped me a long way. And he said a lot of these things. Just It's just about you being your best. Don't don't think about, well, you know, if I do well here, I'll get to that level. And a lot of players do that. And a lot of players feel that, certainly in in the professional levels, um, that they... If I do well at state level, then I'll get back in the Australian team or I'll, I'll get a test cap and do that. It was never um, really my thought. And when I had um, made the mistake of thinking a little bit like that, my performances really suffered where I was. So it was really about me just being the best I could be and having habits that made me better um, each time I trained. And that was really, that's what drove me. And I guess in some ways when I get asked, uh, often I just go, well, I'm a, I'm a club cricketer that didn't really know how to stop because I just wanted to be better each time I went about it. And I, I guess that's the, 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 at the end of it, um, and finding some motivation to do that, your best just keeps getting better. And mm. in the end, it found my way to, to playing a test for Australia, which, um, you know, I'm incredibly proud about, but, uh, more so than that playing, um, first class cricket for Victoria and getting an opportunity to play in England for Essex and those sort of things. And they're just, they're just dream stuff as a kid, mm. um, you know, that we, we all dream about. But uh, I, I think the quote you were saying is, is spot on. I just didn't know when to stop. Um, yeah. Just driven by that, I just want to be, be my, my best version of me. We'll talk about some of those opportunities as the chat progresses. But just finally on this point, I asked you about the naysayers, and there would have been a few along the way, whether they were directly to you or whether they were behind your back. But you mentioned a couple of names that were important in positivity, and you've, I guess you've got to hang on to people like that in the journey because if you believe, if you can find someone else to believe with you, then that makes it just that little bit easier along the way. Absolutely, and that encouragement, that support, um, and they're the ones I, I did uh, take take heed of. They're the ones I absorbed. I, I read a quote once about Jack Nicholas. He said, uh, I'm an unbelievable putter. And he just didn't remember hit, missing a putt. He missed truckloads of them in his whole career, mm. but he didn't remember them. And he just let them go and just remembered all the good ones. And I, I spent a lot of my, my time playing cricket as a leg spinner. There's plenty of bad balls that come out, but I haven't remembered any of them. Um, I just remember <laughs> all the good ones. So uh, that, that's, sort of, that's uh, something that struck with me. And, and being positive and rewarding yourself as you do it, Bowling leg spin. I probably didn't realise till later on in my career when Brad Hodge said, "What you do is so hard," and I couldn't believe it that he was he was the guy telling me that when, you know, he, everything came and looked so easy for him. But he said, "What you do is very very difficult," and it made me realise that um, you know I've I've got to keep the the, the positivity up um, rather than think about well if I let this one go and it's bad, you know, 
immediately, um, you know, inevitably, um, you, you do muck up and you don't bowl well then. So um, it's always been about positive and having positive reinforcement, no doubt. We'll talk about some of those great balls that you bowled and we won't remember any of the other ones when we come back on the <laughs> other side of the break. Bryce McGain is my guest on this World Cup final day on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Great to have Bryce McGain with us on this World Cup final day on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. When you were starting your formative steps in the game, was it always leg spin? It was. It was always league spin. And, and I've always tried to reflect back as to why, but uh, I remember just playing tennis ball cricket at school and uh, it didn't matter how fast you could bowl. And I remember batting and the kids would bowl as fast as they possibly could and they'd tape one side and all that. I always found that quite easy to bat to. But when the ball would bounce and spin off the ash field at all different angles, I, would, I wasn't off fetching the tennis ball because uh, they couldn't hit it. So I was always trying to think a bit... Uh, uh, you know, play some tricks and things like that. And uh, just even just from that fun. So it's always been about fun and, and enjoyment. Um, but that really stepped me in the in the right stead. I then straight into to cricket at 10, 11 years old at Mornington. And I guess that's what you do with your mates. You, you're down there, you're in the nets all the time. And a lot of it was just game playing and, and, and learning those things. But it was always bowling leg spin because I I think it was just a, a bit harder to hit uh, for the, for the batsman. So I wasn't often fetching the ball. I was, uh, yeah, um, enjoying what I did. Whilst the positive might be that you don't have to fetch the ball, the thing is, you know, if you're a leg spinner or a spin bowler to any degree, but a leg spinner particularly, you're going to get some tap at some oh, yeah. stage. <laughs> How do you prepare for that mentally? That you're going to have one of those days, and unfortunately we'll talk about one of those days a bit later on. Yeah. How do you prepare yourself for that? that it's going to be sailing over your head on any given day? Well, it's it's what every batsman likes to do. They like to belt the spinner around. Yeah. So uh, as a young kid, I guess it um, – I don't know. I guess uh, looking back at it, maybe I just didn't think about that too much. I, I just thought about you know bowling as, as well as I could. I, I knew – and I kept on reflecting on what was difficult for me to face against spinners, and I, I knew that it was a particular length out in front. So I learned that really young, that if, if I just land it there and spin it as hard as I can, well – that's got to give me the best chance. And often it did go flying as a kid and you couldn't always hit that spot, but uh, that, that's what practice was for. And that's what I enjoyed so much about uh, just doing it more often and, and doing it more in a casual way. It wasn't just cricket training, cricket practice. It was more, more of the fun part of it um, that, that you kept going. But I, I guess I was just born with some thick skin, um, an ability to forget the bad and uh, and focus on um, how, to, how to do something well um, with the next opportunity. Speaking of warning, what was his influence like over you? I think he's four years apart, but the fact that he was able to do what he did when we hadn't had a leg spinner do that for a long time, mm. the fact that he was able to do it on the international stage, did that make you more determined that it could be done by someone apart from him? Or did you think, well, he's just a freak and I've got to aspire to be somewhere near him. Yeah, I, I did. There was two of them actually for Victoria um, early on where I'd, I'd go and watch them. And occasionally I'd, I'd go and watch their training at the Junction Oval. And that's Peter McIntyre who played mm. a bit for Victoria. And they were neck and neck. And then Peter went to South Australia and 
Um, you know, we, we often laughed even when I remember going over there to the Adelaide Oval. Day four was, well, that's, that, that's Macca's day because he'd just clean up and there'd be, he'd take six wickets and South Australia would win. Um, he, he'd do that regularly. And uh, I, I've spoken to him subsequently and, uh, and, and said that I guess it's a real brotherhood with the, the spinners and particularly the league spinners. But th- they set a standard of, um, that it is possible. And I guess watching Warney go about it, particularly in one-day cricket, that was just unheard of. A spinner playing in one-day cricket, mm. and particularly a league spinner, you know, you want a darting off spinner or someone just fires them in and bowls a bit boring. But this attacking, the method that he turned games in West, in, in World Cups, uh, you know, when Australia looked down and out and he, he would just come on and the whole team would have this belief and uh, it was just incredible. And I, I love the way that he he... He was a match winner. Now, I'm, I'm certainly not as flamboyant as what he is. And a, a, is anybody? Yeah, you know, I don't think they are. <laughs> but um, he, he set a standard and, and a belief. And, I, you know, I I'd, I'd pictured the same sort of deliveries. Um, you know, I haven't bowled a gadding ball to, you know, my first ball in Ashes. And I, I certainly didn't do any of that. But I saw that same ball in training a number of times. And I mm. went, well, I can do that. I, I can do that. And all I needed to be able to do is translate that when it matters against some other batters. And, Occasionally, I was able to do something pretty similar, and uh, and, and and that's that's incredibly rewarding for a spinner. Right, give us your best one. Give us your version of the Gatting ball. Say pitching just outside leg, hitting top of off. Yeah, well, it was um, mine was bowling to Adam Gilchrist, and it was in a Shield game. He didn't play a lot of Shield cricket, of course, because he mm. was dominating World cricket. And uh, it was it was not long after that he'd uh, destroyed Monty Panesar at, at the Wacker, and I was sitting on my couch laughing and enjoying that, going, "How good is this? What a legend! What a great guy!" and all that, and loving the way he went about his cricket. And then. Uh, Lo and behold, it wasn't that long after that uh, he, he was back in the state team, and uh, it just so happened there was a gap in the in the schedule. WA brought over a whole the whole list of top order players, and and he was he was one of them in the team, and uh, that was a bit nerve wracking. But it was it was really around just being able to bowl. Uh, to, to my plan and hoping he makes a mistake. And as it turned out, it was one that drifted away. It was just a bit slower. It drifted away and went through the gate and bowled him. And I think everyone was just staggered. I've never seen a short leg walk backwards as much as we had Bobby Quiney in there. I've never seen a short <laughs> leg just keep shuffling backwards because obviously we know the power of Adam Gilchrist. And yeah. he, he, he wanted to dictate terms straight away. So I was able to get him out a couple of times in that game, but the, the, in the first innings was incredibly pleasing. And that, that, fired a lot of belief in myself from then on um, that he, he's been the best of all time. Bryce, you, you can do this. What, what you're doing in your tactics and your plans, are, this is spot on. And uh, it gave me a lot of belief in my career. Did Gilly give that look that Mike Gatting gave, that famous look when he was walking off as if to say, what the hell happened there? Well, he came dancing down and he, he tried to hit me, I think, into the third tier <laughs> or over the MCG members. He was, he was really looking to get into me. But, uh, it, yeah, it was just a bit slower, arrived a bit slower and, and spun back. And he just spun around a couple of metres down the pitch and off he walked. And uh, he was the first one after the game, of course. So you don't expect any different from him to go, mm. hey, well, Bob, that was, uh, that was a good battle and uh, congratulations. And that, that meant a lot as well. You talked about your lack of aspirations. You never, never dreamed of wanting to make test cricket. Eventually it happened. We'll talk about that in a moment. But when you made it to shield level, was that a real achievement in your eyes? Did you almost feel as though all of the hard work was vindicated to get to that level? Peter, that was the ultimate, to represent Victoria. Like, how amazing. It was just incredible. Yeah. And I'd, I'd watched them. I'd followed them. I'd uh, every, Everything was about, you know, I was a Victorian. I loved the Victorian cricket team, how they went about it. Um, 
you know, with Dean Jones, Simon O'Donnell, um, you know, the list goes on. I mentioned the, the, the spinners, of course, that I, I was following closely uh, as I was growing up uh, and, and just to play for Victoria. And I think one of the things that, that it wasn't lost on me just ha- once I did play a few games for Victoria and certainly coming back and being a regular in the team, it, it w- certainly wasn't lost on that group um, that I was playing with that we had a, a lot of success. Was that wherever we went, there was Victorians, particularly up to Queensland. There's probably more Victorians in the crowd because it, a lot of the, the expats have sort of mm. gone up there and they're, they're spending their retirement years up there and they've got time to watch the Sheffield Shield. So they'd be there supporting Victoria. Wherever we went, you know, the Victorian passion came through and it was, certainly wasn't lost on that team. The tradition of who, who was before us, um, all the history of the MCG, but then being able to perform and be part of that. Um, even just playing one game, that was amazing. But then to play a number more uh, w- was incredibly exciting. And every time that, that was, that was incredibly proud for me to have that, uh, that blue cap um, and represent my state. Uh, it, w- it was the ultimate. You mentioned the G Bryce, that, famous shrine that we all, those of us who have lived in this city, just adore that place. There's something about it. I've often said that when you go into the MCG, it doesn't matter if there's nobody in there. It's still got something about it. It must have felt like that every time you walked onto the turf, even if there might have only been a scattering of people in the stands. Well, that's right. And Shield Cricket was was largely that. Our best crowds are probably around 5,000, maybe 1,000. Sorry, 500, maybe 1,000 people would turn up at times. Uh, It got a bit bigger for a few of the one-day games and the the day-nighters and things like that with the Ford Ranger Cup, um, which are exciting times. But it it, it is incredible. Uh, And... And a lot of that is set up where we are, the rooms, um, the players before, the test names up there, the people that have gone out there and played, the, the stands are named after incredible people like Bill Ponsford. It, it's it, it's just incredible, the, the history of, of that. And that was one thing uh, early on that um, was highlighted to the players. We did a, did a tour of the MCG and we looked at the Victorian players that were before us and what it meant to represent the state. Um, and for me, I guess my background, I, I was... Well, I was working full time at that stage, so for me, I'd I'd work in the morning and train it often be at ten o'clock. So I'd run down from the top of Collins Street from ANZ. I'd go scooting down. I'd I'd be ready to train, and I, I remember having a di- completely different perspective to a lot of the players. Where you know, often training, the, the fun bits batting and bowling, the fielding bit, everyone oh, fielding training really. But I'd be going down, and they'd say, "Look, we'll kick off with some fielding training," and I'd be going, "We're training on the MCG. We're going to be doing high catches. We'll be doing ground balls." We I couldn't get enough of it, even though I was, you know, in my thirties and uh, and and living that life. I was just, how unbelievable is this? This is this is where I am. I'm down here training, and then obviously I'll be back up to the ANZ in the afternoon and uh, and work the afternoon and and make up a few hours as well. So um, it was an interesting time for me, where a number of the teammates are sort of ah. Oh. They're flat about what's going on. It certainly wasn't lost for me, I can assure you. Mm. And subsequent to playing, um, I think the last time that we sat together, we sat in the commentary box at the MCG. That's right. And you overlooked that wonderful ground. And regardless, I think we did a big bash game and there probably would have been 15,000, 20,000 people there. But the vibe that even fifteen or 20,000 creates is incredible. And when you get something like a Boxing Day Test match, oh, Makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. It's incredible. And I still love going to that. It's a, a tradition with my son, Liam, and I. We go to each Boxing Day test. And even just sitting up as a as a nobody up in the crowd <laughs> watching the game, you know, it's, it's that exciting. It, it's, it really is. And uh, ha- having been close to it, um, th- that aside, just being a dad with your son, mm. um, there's, there's nothing nicer and, than doing that. And, you know, the same thing happens in the football season as well. You know, that, you know, being able to do that and it's a real... 
it has a great family atmosphere. It has a great uh, history. Um, but it, and all around the world, every cricketer um, says exactly the same. So wherever I've been, you know, they ask the same questions. The mm. MCG, what's it like playing there? That's your home ground. I guess it's similar to what the Middlesex players might be with Lords. Yeah. You know, what's it like? And um, it's certainly not lost on the players, I can assure you. It wasn't lost on me. Well, I'm going to pick you up on one thing you said when you talk sure. about being at the MCG and you talk about being a nobody. You're not a nobody because you've got a baggy green. And <laughs> when we come back on the other side of the break, I want to talk about that test, that one test with Bryce McGain, my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life on World Cup Final Day. And we're all here thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Bryce McGain is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives on the day of the World Cup Final at Lords. We've spoken about Lords, but it wasn't Lords where your big moment came. It was South Africa. Tell us about the lead up to that. Well, it was the third test uh, in Cape Town where uh, I'd I had no idea that I would be playing. Uh, I hadn't played the first two tests. Australia had just won the series uh, most unexpectedly from everyone around the world, not in the least the South Africans over there, but Australia, I'd, I think, after we'd just lost to South Africa in Australia, um, a three-test series, and this was straight on the back of that. And there was a few changes to the team. Obviously, I'd gone over. This is my first tour uh, with Australia uh, that... It, it, they'd, they'd basically backed in the fast bowlers and they'd done such a terrific job and the, the grounds really suited that. Um, it was when Phil Hughes had, had done such such a wonderful job in making 200s in his second test match and being part of that that group. It was just incredibly exciting that um, the, the team were able to turn that around. The third test um, was somewhat, you know, you might call it a dead rubber, but test cricket's never that. It's uh, every test matters. There's, there's no doubt that there was no preparation about we'll take our foot off at all. But I had no idea that um, Marcus North was ill, and uh, I, I didn't know that um, from the day before. Um, but he, he was he was very sick, and uh, on the morning of the game, I just went there as per normal. I, it was a little unusual that a few people weren't talking to me so directly. Um, but we just went out for the warm-up as per usual. And then uh, from behind uh, Brute's back, he handed a cap to Ricky Ponning. And um, and I was waiting to see, oh, well, someone's going to debut here. This will be exciting. Clearly not me because I'm not in the in the, in the the plan. The, the fast bowlers have been doing the job. and um, But it was me. And uh, it was incredibly exciting. It was a bit of a surprise party there in the warm-up, just, uh, just an hour and 15 minutes before the game starts. Do you remember, do you remember what he said to you? Uh, well, no, that is a bit of a blur. I wish I'd paid more attention to what he said, but uh, when, when he when he mentioned uh, had the hat and said, "Bryce, uh, you're going to debut," he mentioned a bit about tradition and uh, and about putting your best foot forward and, and performing at your best, and uh, a few other words there too. But I didn't quite get them all. Um, <laughs> it's amazing what we hear when uh, you know that those moments come. It was a, look, it was a big wave of emotion because it had been it's been a huge journey um, for me along the, the whole way from. Uh, you know, growing up, I lost my father um, when he was six. He, he, he'd passed away and mum had brought me up myself. And with that, there's probably no favours. There's no dad to have a hit with and that sort of stuff. But I found my own way. And, um, you know, I just loved the game of cricket and I wanted to be the best I could be at it. And wherever that took me was was going to be it, um, whether that just be playing first at my local team. But it, it had taken me on this journey. So it, 
it was pretty overwhelming. I've got to say, the first session was a blur. Um, we were batting, we were losing wickets, um, but it was just a real blur because it was this this wave of emotion. It would have been nice to know the night before to, to get those things in order, but uh, look, that wasn't to be. But uh, um, incredibly proud moment, incredibly proud for um, the people that had helped me to get there, um, uh, and there'd been a number on the way, but... Um, it was reflecting of the journey rather than maybe I should have had my mind on the game and what I needed mm. to do. But you'd be something apart from human if you weren't thinking that. Were you mindful, Bryce, of the fact that you were the oldest debutante in, I think, quarter of a century for Australia? Uh, well, age to me, and you know, I guess that was part of um, you know the Victorian group. They'd sort of laugh about it. Phil Hughes even said, you're old enough to be my dad, um, <laughs> cheekily enough when we were over there. Um, uh and he's probably right. I would have had to start pretty young, but um, <laughs> he's somewhat right. But look, that was just part of, you know, how the banter was, I suppose, uh, in playing cricket, that I was older than everyone, but they knew I wasn't slower. They knew I was just as fit. They knew I could do just as much. Uh, and hopefully they, they had they had some belief in me to, to, to perform well as well. And I, I certainly had that um, with, with Victoria. And, um, and then, well, it was... Uh, at test cricket level too. So you go through this blur where Australia's batting, losing wickets all over the place, and then comes the time to bowl, and they throw you the ball. What's the emotion like when you're about to bowl your first ball in test cricket when the journey has taken 37 years to arrive at that point? Well, it's uh, I was... I must say I wasn't incredibly overwhelmed with nerves. Um, one of the things that I'd learned along the way, and this is probably one of the strengths I had, that uh, when I'd come back to, to playing Shield cricket after being away for four years, I'd come back to Shield cricket, and it was Dave Hussey who was captain in the team. Cameron White had gone, started playing one-day cricket for Australia, and Dave Hussey, um, who was a great friend of mine, um, said, look, the pitch is the same length. You just go and incident the SCG against New South Wales, and they were really strong. He just said, the pitch is the same. Like, you just go and bowl what you do for Perrin. You just do that, and that'll look after everything here. We'll get the strategy right. You, you run your strategy. I'll back it up, and away we go. And that was a great lesson in leadership for me. It, it just instilled me with an enormous amount of confidence. So with that in mind, um, it was a similar approach I had with the, the first over I bowled there. Um, Ricky Ponning, it, it had taken a while. That, that uh, I bowled a, it was actually it was just that night I, I bowled an over, but then the next day it had taken a long time before I, I did get the ball in my hand. Um, so I chased a lot of, a lot of balls around. I think they, they, they might have been about one ninety or even close to two hundred uh, when I got a, another opportunity. But uh, look, they, they were pretty aggressive um, mm. right from the top, and uh, so it wasn't without an opportunity. One could have gone to hand. One just slides past the outside edge and it can clip it if it wanted to, but didn't. Look, I, I was I felt like I was in control. I felt like what an opportunity. And I just, again, just wanted to do my best. I wasn't overwhelmed, but um, it was it was probably just about, um, yeah, just, just wanting to do my best. Only you can talk about the emotions and the way you felt and the way they came out. But we mere mortals mm. obviously look at the scorebook and we see your figures for that day. It was a record for a while. Yeah. Do they tell the true story or was it not really reflective of how you bowled? It was a very flat wicket. Um, that They were in a strong position in the game. They could take more risks. And so it probably set up well from – that's from a South African point of view. And they were determined to hit the debutante spinner around. And that, that and I'd experienced that And all, you knew that was life. coming. Absolutely. That, yeah. And that's, that wasn't a surprise. Um, I, I'd – I guess going into it, and now looking back in hindsight, it was just six months earlier. Well, not even six months. It was three months earlier that I'd had a a, a, 
a major operation and come back from um, having my, my, my lat and a few other injuries on the back of my armpit. So my shoulder was intact, but it was just th- this this issue that I had behind. And I'd done all the rehab and strength, and I'd played a shield game and taken five wickets. So that you know, that I'd done some work and prepared well. But uh, I guess to get the the full strength into what I was doing, I, I was still able to do it pain free. But to have the full range of speed that I would normally bowl, um, and that's the part I learnt very early on, is um, changing your pace and being able to be not predictable. It was taking maximum effort, so 100% of my effort to to bowl just at my my, my standard pace. I didn't have that other gear to go a bit quicker, and um, and it's not necessarily about bowling flatter and quicker, but just being able to change things up a little bit. And so I, I probably went in with limited armory at the time. I, I felt like I'm I'm ready, I'm prepared, and away we go. But reflecting back and how I improved later on, that was probably one thing that set me back. So without the full set of gears, I suppose in speed, which actually makes uh, things a bit. Um, more challenging for the batsmen in changing speed. That's that probably played into their hands a little bit, and um, I, I wasn't completely disappointed with how I was landing them necessarily. But it just wasn't making an impact. There wasn't much moving off the the pitch, and uh, as I say, my speed was um, was was impacted somewhat. Did you think? Back to that other leg spinner that we've spoken about a little bit in his first test innings and think, well, he kind of went all right after that. Did you, did that thought cross your mind after that innings? Well, even halfway through that, I got a message from, from Shane who said, hey, mate, don't worry about that. You can do this. You, 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 you're going to represent Australia. This is fine. Don't worry about that. He said, I, I think I had, one for I had one for 300 before I took my second wicket. And, uh, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd cop the same sort of stuff and probably had a, a lot of doubts. And he, he shared a bit of that leading uh, at a few years before that, actually going, you know, just, just keep believing, keep believing. You, you know, what you're doing is great. So keep going. Um, but that, that message was, was nice to get, you know, was, was plenty of support. So I would anticipated from there that um, I was hoping there might have been an opportunity, another opportunity. But uh, as it turned out in that game, we only bowled for one innings. Uh, we, we were comprehensively beaten. Um, they scored over 600. Um, A.B. de Villiers got 160. Uh, Jacques Kellis got 100. Prince got 100. So they, they all, um, you know, we all suffered a bit. Um, but, you know, I, I did set the record for uh, on debut, the, the, the highest runs against. Um, that was uh, picked up uh, off me most recently uh, or just a few years ago, uh, which I was happy to hand over. You obviously were hoping for another opportunity. Were you surprised that that was your one and only test match? At the time, uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was probably surprised that, you know, I'd done, I guess, the body of work to get to that point and be acknowledged as, well, that's who we're going with. But to just bowl one one innings to then go, well, and the conditions and the game and all the circumstances to go, no, look, we he was in our best then, you know, maybe we do take him to England. There was an mm. Ashes tour after that. Um, was was a bit disappointing. Uh, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Sometimes it is just one go and there's, there's lots of players for Australia that have played one test and that, that's how it's been. Some have performed pretty well and just played one test. Some, um, and it, it probably is on the back of the performance where they've gone, no, look, well, what's the point? Um, he, he's 37. He's debuted pretty old. Let's go to the young bloke. We've seen enough. And, Ultimately, that's what the decision was made. Um, that's out of your hands, and cricket's a bit like that. You, it's not an individual sport; it's a team sport. Someone else makes those decisions for you. And uh, I, I, you know, I thought I could um, perform well given another opportunity, and uh, would have loved to have played in England uh, on some of the, uh, the the pitches there, of course, um, wearing wickets over there. And the little stint that I had with Essex, um, yeah, it proved in my mind that 
yeah, this is a great place to be bowling spin, yeah. All right, let's take a break, and we'll talk about the guys who are going to be wearing the baggy green in the Ashes series coming up very shortly. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Bryce McGain on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, Celebrating Lives. Back to wrap things up with Bryce on the other side of the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Our final segment with Bryce McGain on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Live. So eventually, after one test, the test career comes to an end. Are you satisfied? Do you sit back satisfied that you got every drop out of the lemon as you look back on your career, both at shield level and, and that one test? Yeah, most definitely. I'm really fulfilled with uh, what I was able to do uh, yeah. as a as a club cricketer who didn't know when to stop. So for me, that's uh, that, that's incredibly rewarding. I'm, I'm really proud of representing Australia. I'm not ashamed that uh, for every ball I bowled for Australia, uh, it didn't work out on the day. But I'm certainly not ashamed about performing and the journey it took to be able to be selected in the best 11 players for Australia. I'm really proud to be 410 and uh, that, that that's not going to change. I was really pleased after that that I was able to perform and win a Sheffield Shield for Victoria um, because that was the ultimate as a kid to play for Victoria uh, and, and being able to do that at the MCG and then have opportunities to play cricket in England with Essex and then um, further opportunities around T20 to play in, in India and uh, also South Africa in a Champions League with the Bush Rangers. All these unbelievable opportunities. Cricket's been so good to me and, and, and now it, it's it's about sharing that with others and um, hopefully inspiring some young players with the, the academy programs that I do and, um, and and helping them and helping young spinners. I have a real interest in, in that as well and, and helping them um, be the best they can be. It's been a, a journey of learning for me, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm immensely proud of what I've been able to do. And with those academy programs, do you still still see the desire amongst the young girls and boys coming through mm. to play test cricket? Because Big Bash has become the face of Australian cricket, if you like. It's in your face every summer now, and yep. it's gained such a profile. Do you think that passion for the five-day game is still there? I, I think it is. I think it is. The, the ones that really love cricket, and it's probably um, enlightening them, saying, well, we just have a, need to have a, a number of different gears and different games you need to play. From a batting perspective, you need to, sure, you need to be able to um, learn the, the, the way to hit the ball to 360 degrees, but then you need to know how, how to bat for a long period of time as well, and these are the skills that are going to help you do that. So that, that's, that's fundamentally, and from a bowling perspective as well, the, there's things to learn around that and have the, the lots of variation. But in Test cricket, it's probably about being line and length and, and, and being a bit more um, uh, patient with, with the way you plan things. So uh, they're the things that we, we try and teach them, all the things that help them uh, succeed at the end. And hopefully a few people will be sitting up late at night in a few weeks' time with the Ashes series. It'll be interesting, Bryce, to see how the Ashes series is treated because it in some ways, I think a lot of people are worried it might might be diluted a bit because of the World Cup immediately preceding it. I know there are two different games, but there's a lot of cricket that we've been watching over the last six weeks or so. But after all, it is the Ashes and it is against England. And yeah. It's they're in their backyard. We're all going to be up watching it. Oh, there's no are. doubt about it, yeah. Peter. Yeah, look, it, it, it is, it, it's iconic. It's iconic. And as kids, the, the, the Ashes and, uh, and then, you know, as being involved in cricket and, you know, the, the respect that all... Australian cricketers, whether you're part of that or not, or professional cricketers have for the group that are going to represent the country there, that it's enormous support and, and respect from the other players. And the, the group that will be doing that um, will no doubt do Australia proud. Um, the, for, for me, there could be a few surprises in terms of who needs to go in. Um, I think the World Cup can set a good um, 
and who's performed well there because they are in English conditions. I know it's white ball and all that, but you want to have some players that can, can specifically do that. And I'd love to see Aaron Finch get an opportunity batting where he does in the middle order. Mm. Um, I, I would love to see him do that because he's been dominant over there in the past. Uh, he did have a, a, an introduction to test cricket as an opener. I, I think if he bats in that middle order, um, that'll be the last person they want to see. If Australia are three for 200 and Aaron Finch comes out, he can really take the game away. So hopefully he gets that opportunity. We'll enjoy that. We'll enjoy the World Cup final tonight. And we've enjoyed recapping on your story. It's a great story of persistence and I think one thing that we should not do when we talk about you and and your record is we should never say he played only one test for Australia. We should say he played one test for Australia. I think that's the best way of saying it because you've done what a lot of people dreamt about doing. Well done. Thanks very much, Peter. Bryce McGain joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Enjoy the World Cup final tonight and we'll be back same time next week with another great of Australian sport. Hope you can join us then. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91